0: and some pretty technical material about this matter as John is trying to finish out what he called sin unto death. (laughs) Sin that is not unto death, sin that is unto death. (laughs) And uh, I talked about some grammatical matters. I, I was telling somebody the day that when I was in college, I'll never forget when I was in Greek class, go to 1 John 5, I was in Greek class, and the professor said, okay, let's look at these prepositions. I'm a junior, and I went to myself, what's a preposition (laughs) now I'm not kidding you this went through my mind I said I know what a noun is subject of the verb since I know what a verb is it's the action I know what an adjective is because in the 1971 World Series Kirk Gowdy's calling the game and Brooks Robinson makes an incredible play on third base and Brooks Robinson says what incredible how great how wonderful how incredible what other adjective could you use to describe him (laughs) 33% of my grammatical knowledge came from the wide world of sports. (laughs) So you may feel like that at times, like this grammar is just a little too technical. In this case, however, this is one of those passages where understanding the grammar of it really does help at some level. And so I want us to look at this because we've said, or we started last week, sometimes the statement is made by people for different reasons. All sin is the same all sin's the same. Well, uh, if we're talking about sin in its essence, in its rebellion against God or its failure to live up to the standard of God, yes. But that's not true here. John says there is sin that leads to death and there's sin that does not lead to death. And so he makes that distinction. So we want to make that distinction here that we understand that John here has made a distinction as it relates to it. Now, all of this is related, again, to our topic. We're talking about walking as children of God, walking as children of God. Now, you'll note, Dick's going to finish up some here today. This book is interesting to me because it begins in the first chapter in verse 7, 9, and 2, 1 with a discussion about how to deal with sin. It says that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. 1.8, if we say we have not ever sinned, we lie and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Two, one I write these things so that you sin not. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Christ, Jesus the righteous, who's not on the propitiation for our sin, but the sin of the whole world. So it begins like that. Guess how it ends? Sin. Now, again, this relates to the fifth chapter, the ending of this book, ends with this same topic, this same concern, this same attempt to delineate or to explain this issue of sin. Why? Because the Gnostics that we've identified, remember the Gnostics are teaching or communicating that it does not matter how you live, it doesn't matter what you do, because the flesh and what you do in the flesh can never affect the spirit And in Gnosticism, the knowledge of spirit as the only true reality is what matters. So this is not just people having trouble and difficulty and struggling or having habits they're trying to break. These are people who have full-blown habituated and embraced this life to say, just do whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. So he begins with that and he ends with that. And so we worked through some of that, and I want to I talk just a little bit, and I want you, we're going to have some questions maybe here in just a minute, if we have four seconds left. Here we go. <clears throat> here we go. Um, notice here in 1 John 5, uh, I'm going to start, Jay uh, ho- uh, Hollaback and I got together, and we thought we're going to start backwards today. Does that sound good? Here's what I want to do. I want to start by charting this passage. And look at it and try to just give visual learners. That's what Becky was saying to me. And others have said, I need a visual representation of this. What does this mean? And I have it here. That's not important. <laughs> sin is not right. We're going to start at the end. Look down here at chapter 5, all, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. So in one sense, John is saying all sin is the same. What is it? Huh? What he says it right there. <laughs> all sin is unrighteousness, or all unrighteousness is sin. So, in one sense, all sin is the same. In that, it's unrighteous. We well, look at that, and then he makes the caveat here: there is, or and the word "there" uh, can mean but. But there is sin not leading to death, meaning there is sin. That does. So I want to look at this here just for a second, that all sin is not right. That's what the Greek word adikia, what adikia means, means not right. Uh, And I want to have you consider that the fundamental truth here that what John is trying to say is that all sin is not righteousness or not right. I wrote in my notes here, this is a fundamental truth here in the universe. Sin is when life is not working right. Say it again. Sin is when life is not working right in the sense that we're doing things that make life not work correctly. I've said this before and I still believe it. I believe there will be a day when God will bring judgment upon sin, but I don't think God judges sin now. I think sin, or I don't think God punishes sin. I don't think God punishes sin. Sin will punish you, right? Because it's not right. It's not right. In one of the Bible studies I lead uh, the other, uh, some time ago, a person was talking and I just read, they were pretty angry that people that were claiming to be Christians were getting away with stuff. <laughs> you ever heard people talk like that? They're kind of upset that there were some Christian people who were doing things that were wrong and, and, and they were pretty upset about it. And a friend of mine said this, and I thought it was exactly this. The discussion continued for some time until this person said, you know, it sounds like to me that you think people are getting away with something. Think about that. He was upset that people who claim to be Christians were doing things wrong and sinning. And he was really upset. And my friend said, you know what it sounds like to me? You think they're getting away with something. They're not getting away with something. You introduce sin into your life, into your relationships. What happens? Nothing good. Nothing good right? You introduce sin into your relationships, into your life. Watch what happens. Is it good? No. That's what John is saying. All sin is unrighteousness, or all sin is not right. I I wonder if we really believe that. Do we really believe that if sin is introduced into our lives or introduced into situations, that we really believe this is not going to work well? (laughs) This is not going to go well. I'd hate to tell you how old I was when I came to that conclusion. I really would. When I came to the final conclusion that the universe doesn't work whenever we introduce sin in it, That the way God created us and wired us doesn't work. So all sin is not right. Introduce it and watch what it does. Make sense? Okay. Now, John then says, so back up. If anyone sees his brother committing sin not leading to death, and I said last week, if you want to listen to the recording, the word a should not be there. In Greek, there is no indefinite article, a. It should not be supplied it is a grammatical rule at times you do that. But it should translate this way If anyone sees his brother committing sin not leading to death, watch this. If anyone sees his brother committing sin not leading to death, he shall ask God and God will give him life. So over here on the chart, all sin is not right, but there is, whoops, there is sin that does not lead to death. I believe that's 1 John 1 7. First John 1 9, First John 1:9, 1 John 2:1. That is sin of an event, an act, a breakout, if you will, um, uh, uh, something that happens where one uh, has uh, it, it, one is continues to be dependent upon God, but the matter here that it's an event, it's an act, it happens. Where, and I'm going to come back to this. Where in 1 John, there's another species of sin, if you will, another category. And that's over here. It's sin that leads to death. It's 1 John 3, 4 to 8. And 1 John 5, 18. It's the continual, habitual, embracing, throwing oneself into a life of sin. Who are th- who's doing that? The Gnostics. They're not struggling with a habit They're not dealing with a problem. They're not dealing with a temptation. They have thrown themselves into this thing head first and encouraging other people to do the same. Okay? Does that make sense? That's, again, the the original, if you will, uh, background here. So it says here, what, what happens if you see your brother commit sin that doesn't lead to death? It's that kind of sin that you know it broke out. It's something they did. It was an event. It wasn't their lifestyle. It wasn't their constant giving in to something that they affirm and say, well, this is just fine. Just live like this. What do you do? Notice what he says. You pray. You pray for those. Now, again, I don't have time. I've got to get Dick up here. I've got, I'm, a, I'm working on a timer today. That. Yeah, yeah I am. Yeah, sort of. Uh, look at this here uh, when he says you should pray. Now, again, over here on the other one, the sin leading to death, not pray. That seems strange, doesn't it? Seems strange. Now, the way the force is in the language there is not you can't pray. It is, again, the idea that it's not a command then to pray. If you see your brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, you are commanded to pray for them. Remember last week I said... And this is a harsh idea sometimes. You can see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You you see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And other places where Paul says that what he's done in different occasions is he's turned people over to their sin so that it might wake them up. I don't know. I don't know. You can read all the commentaries you want to in this, and nobody has a tremendously good idea of why don't you pray? Why don't you pray? He says that sin that leads to death. I do not say that you should pray. Is it again because that person, if they continue in that, the consequences, the results, wake them up. All of a sudden, hopefully, something wakes them up. Jerry. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, John does not give us enough. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I just I'm saying John does not give us enough information here of what to do. What we would do is correlate that with other scriptures. But right here, I think what he's doing, and I'm just going to tell you what I think is going on here, I think what he's doing is I think he's trying to alert the community how serious this is. Right? He's trying to alert the community of believers. This is serious. This should not be something that someone messes around with and thinks it's of little consequence. Now, I don't know this for a fact. I know the Gnostics, there are a whole different category of people here. They're embracing their sin. They're taking it in. They, they, they love it. They want it. They're telling other people. I, I, I just know that what, what he's trying to do here is to awaken them. Awaken them. Now, notice here, he said you should pray for them. Now, I'm going to take a, take a minute. <laughs> any, is this making any sense? Okay. In your Bible, you need to take out the word a. It's not in the Greek text. There is sin that leads to death. There is sin that doesn't lead to death. Now again, I'm taking that to understand that John has illustrated or enumerated two different types of sin in the in the book he's written: 1 John 1:7, 1 John 1 9, 1 John 2 1. Because he says, I write this: if you sin, we have an advocate. He then says in chapter 3, the other category is sin that is just constant, embraced, loved, participated with the entire time. He said this sin leads to death. Now, listen, listen carefully. Don't say what I'm not hearing or hear what you're saying. What? Something. I don't, I'm hurried. Yeah, that too. Yeah, Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. It says it leads to death. It doesn't say they've died. It doesn't say they're beyond help. It says it leads to death. The the Greek word there, pros, means on the path to. Now let me correlate a couple of... Turn left in your Bible, this idea, to the book of James. Go Go back. Where am I here? Yeah, go left to the book of James. There's a similar idea here, and this is the... I, I wrote here this idea of community action. This idea of involvement, be, being in community action with others. If you see your brother sending a sin, not lead death, pray for them. Pray for them. Look here in chapter 5 of, of uh, James. And These are all, again, toward the end of a book, or, or the end of uh, these books. Verse 19, chapter 5. My brethren... If any of you stray from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns the sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Here's one of the things I think John is is doing here and James. I think sometimes we're too passive that we don't show real concern for other people that we let people just die in their sin or just let them live in it. And John, I think, is trying to make a point here. Pray for them. Notice here, if any of you stray from the truth, now that has to be a believer, right? They've strayed from the truth. And you turn him back. Let him know he who turns the sinner from the Arabist way will save his soul and from death. And we'll cover multitude sins. Then go back a little further to Hebrews chapter three. <clears throat> this is what I'm trying to suggest here is a community response. Kind of our making certain that we care and we're concerned about people. <clears throat> chapter three of Hebrews. Chapter three, verse 12, he says, Take care, brethren. Brethren. That there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls from the living God. But what? What does it say there? Encourage one another day after day as long as it's called day. Encourage, help, strengthen. So, So this idea in 1 John is that the community is called to action, to encourage, to help, to be involved. And that sin that does not lead to death is then the idea that God gives life to those. Okay, talk, got, talk to me here real quick. Question, what have I done? Have I confused you more? Yeah, yeah, just live in sin and love it. For the, for the recording, it's a real question. Define death. We talked a bit about this, but let me say this. Death, death spiritually, or, or death in the New Testament, certainly involves physical death. But death, the, the, Greek, the, the biblical idea is never that death means uh, uh, fe- to, to cease to exist. Okay, Death, in the Bible term, you generally, I would say, always means separation from the source of life. Separation from the source of life. That's why spiritual death is one is separated from the source of life, God, because they found their other source, themselves. So <clears throat> we've said this before, but this source of life issue, sin, is when I try to find life somewhere else other than God. That's what sin is. It's unrighteous. It's why it doesn't work. That's why it's not right. So death has the idea of separation. I've I've used this uh, concept before, or it's in the Bible. In Luke 15, when the prodigal son comes back, the father says, this son of mine who was dead. Well, he's standing right there in front of you, isn't he? Yeah, what does it mean? Separation. So death here, in this passage, and others... Means to be separated from the source of life. Now, I'm going to finish with this because I, Dick and I were talking about this the other day, and I, I, I just think this is a, an important distinction. I think that we have probably misunderstood a thought that we're the source of our life, that we're the source instead of God. That's why Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, I've come that you might have life that must mean you ain't got it. <laughs> if I've come that you might have life, then it means you don't have it. And so life or death has always mattered that it's the separation from the source of life which we believe the Scriptures to teach is God. And so it's not to cease to exist. It's not to, to cease to be animated. It's to cease having the source that's why the writer, John says, pray for him and God will give him life. God will give him life. I don't know about you, but for a long time I think I sort of lived under the illusion that I was the source of my life. And that I didn't have to look to God for life. But I do. So I, I, I'm not trying to, trying to make, this, make this any more complicated than this to say that John is trying to bring us to this point of saying there is sin that doesn't lead to death. Pray for each other. Pray. Be involved. You know, have some concern. There is sin that leads to death, and that's the sin where somebody's just embraced it and love it and live in it and full, you know, they're all skate, you know, into the pool uh, as far as you can go and and actually discount that anything's of, of any consequence here. That's the Gnostic heresy that he keeps coming against. Um, so, any, any question here? I, man, I... Yeah? Why would the translators have put the word A in, in the text? Yeah, good question here. Uh, the, he's asking, why would, the tr- why would the translators put the word A in here? Here's my assessment on that. It is typical in Greek, whenever the article is... The definite article, the, is not there to supply the indefinite article. It's typical. <clears throat> okay? It's typical. But... but When you uh, see in John and other places, in the beginning was a God? (laughs) There's no article because you don't need it. In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God. So typically, the the, the rule is when there is not the definite article, to go ahead and supply it. However, here again, translators have to make a decision. I'm going to take this word and put it into a receptor language, English. So how is this indefinite article operating? In Greek, it's uh, what we call anarthros, or there's no particular quality or characteristic to it. It's just a sin, like a car, uh, a hat. There's, there's, there's no distinction, is there? We say, I saw a hat the other day. I saw a hat. No, no distinction. But watch what happens when you put it in English this way. There is a sin that leads to death. What did that just do? Made it, Made it definite. So it's the receptor language where the problem is. That's where the problem is, English. Didn't we all know that to begin with? No? <laughs> I got one word for love, you know. Uh, so it, the problem is they're following a general rule of grammar that you, do, that you add A when the Definite article's not there. But the problem is when it gets in here, it starts operating like a definite article. There is a sin. And Dick and I, we said this. Look at it, there is a sin that leads to death and there is a sin that doesn't lead to death. So there's only two sins. <laughs> Figure out what they are. God bless you. <laughs> right? It's 15. Uh, I gotta stop. Um. I'm going to put something up on Socrative, uh, if you have some more questions. I know some of y'all uh, have had some questions about, is this the sin against the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin? Uh, some might assume but it's a completely different, uh, not a completely different. It, it is similar in that I better just shut up. <laughs> okay? I hope that does something. Tag out. Tag out. <laughs> I hope that does something. I don't Lou.
1: Oh. He went over his time. What? Come on, <laughs> Becky, you win.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, so that's really good. We're uh, we're gonna finish the the scriptures this week, and then next week we're gonna take some questions. So write your questions down. Yeah, we're just gonna. We're going to just sit up here and talk a little bit um, about what we learned, because this has been such a great study. Um, I'm editing on the fly here. So, last week he, he, he stopped at 18. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know... That we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Do you notice that pattern that we know that no one who is born of God sins, and we know that we are of God, and that we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we may know him who is true life. This is eternal life. Remember back in 13, that's kind of the thesis in, 5, in 1 John 5, 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life kind of is the goal, and eternal life equals knowing God. That's kind of the whole thing here. And what, what Cliff just talked about with the sin leads to death, separation, sin does not lead to, to death, not separation. Eter- we're all going to have eternal life in some manner or form in presence of God or out of the presence of God. So that's kind of what this whole, whole thing that we know um, and and again, this is the this is countering the Gnostics. They were they were in John's face. They were in these churches, lying that Jesus isn't the only way, and it doesn't matter what you do because I'm pure spirit. And they're teaching this. It's insidious. It's it's uh, blasphemy. It's it's the worst. And John feels it, at the end of his letter that he needs to address this strong. He says in 19, um, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He's talking again about the evil one that's infiltrated the churches back then and, and that are, the evil one is in the world. Um, in, look at 3.11, um, 1 John 3.11 for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. Remember that? Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. For what, what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. He's again visiting that evil that's present. And we, we, sh- we don't need to be freaked out about it and scared about it. We just need to be aware of it and recognize it and call it where we see it and, and behave appropriately. Remember, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit or be steadfast and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion looking For someone to devour. That's what's out there. The roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he wants us to be aware of that, just like he's calling the Gnostics for what they are. He's actually using in these passages, we know, we know, we know. That's the root word of Gnostic. He's just throwing it right in their face. Now, I'll tell you what we know is what he's saying. When we know God, we have eternal life. That's what he's saying. So we've seen, you know, just pick up the headline, we see evil all over the world. I've seen evil all over the world. I, there, was a play, there was a project that we did in Togo where the, the local witch doctor came out and was cursing us and do, doing all his witch doctor stuff to curse us and all of our drilling teams and it had everybody really freaked out in the village and, um, and we are like, oh, witch doctor's coming to get us. Well, as it, fi- as it turns out, all he wanted was the well drilled on his land so he could collect fees. But it's, e- it's evil. You know, I saw a whole bunch of uh, vultures at our, our, at our lake place. There was a whole bunch of vultures. So we started talking about it at work, and I'm like, I saw a whole bunch of vultures down at the lake place, dozens of them. He goes, and my friend said, whole bunch, that's what you're calling them? So you know what a whole bunch of vultures is called? A congress. Is that not fitting? Come on! It's called a congress of vultures. Anyway. (laughs) Look it up. It's hilarious. So... We see, we, see all, we see evil all over Jesus Jesus addressed this when his, buddies, when his buddies said, "Jesus, how are we supposed to pray?" And Jesus said, "Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." This is a really important thing that we recognize it, where we see it. Don't get freaked out about it. You don't have to go, you know, full-on exorcism, but recognize where it is that this is, this is coming to counter us. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true life, the eternal life. In order that we may know Him equals eternal life. When we know God, when we know Him, that is that eternal life. And Jesus Over and over, Jesus desperately wants us to know him and that it's going to be okay. No, not okay. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be the best possible experience that we as humans could ever have to know the one true God, which he opens up for us to know, which he makes available for us to know. Remember, life abundant, that we're supposed to have abundant life. We're not supposed to just be making it. We're supposed, to be, we're supposed to be having abundant life. Alexander McLaren, an old preacher from the 1800s, which I don't know what century that is, 19, 17. It's one of the two. Anyway, 19. The whole, Alexander McLaren says, The whole world lieth in the wicked one, But we know that the Son of God is come, falling back on the certainty of the Incarnation and its its present issues we can look at in the face, the grave condition of humanity, and still have hope for the world and ourselves. That we look back at this world that's falling apart and we see the Incarnation. And that's what he wants us to see. Ephesians 3 in Ephesians 3:14, uh, we read where where Paul is talking, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from, the, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives this name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in faith may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. He's pleading with us that we would understand how much God loves us. That's what he's he's saying there in that passage. I wish you guys would understand how much Jesus loves you guys. To know him. Which equals eternal life. <laughs> Why does he do that? Because, he, because we're image bearers. We're, we were made in God's image. We were made as sons and daughters of God. That's how we were made. How great a love the Father's lavished on us that we might be called children of God and, and such as we are. That's how we were made. We're the ones, the image bearers, who know God. We're the ones that are supposed to be the best husbands. We're the ones that are supposed to be the best wives. Not me, (laughs) y'all. The best friends, the best employees, the best bosses, the best grandmas, the, the best grandpas. We're the ones that are supposed to be the best because we know And we have a God that loves us so infinitely. And that should give us all kinds of assurance and confidence to go out there and go do stuff. He's giving us this knowledge, this knowing. He's giving us this to put ourselves out there, to be out in the game until we draw our last breath. This doesn't have an age restriction on it. We're supposed to be doing this until we draw our last breath and we're supposed to be getting better until we put our foot in the grave because we know. And this is a good thing. In John 14, uh, Jesus uh, writes, John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. See how that he ends that? So where do you think John got this? This is Jesus saying, "You know the way to where I'm going, guys. You know." And that knowledge is Jesus Christ, and that is eternal life. And that's what he's promising us, giving us "Let not your heart be troubled," is what he says. That's that's our default. That's one of our defaults. "Let not your heart be troubled." giving us assurance and confidence in our state with Jesus and how we are with Jesus, giving us that assurance and that confidence. And he says, to be received to Jesus, I will come again and receive you, is what Jesus said. Remember, we're his kids. How great a love the Father has lavished on us that we might be called children of God and such as we are. And the thing is, he knows, as Cliff just mentioned, he knows we're going to sin. In, in 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He knows we're going to sin, and yet he still is lavishing his love on us. Huh. And then in 1, seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son, son cleanses us from all sin. He knows we're going to mess up and he made provision for us. John 14.4 says, you know the way where I am going. Jesus said that. You know the way where I'm going. And so when can we, when, when can we finally get into that we know attitude? Um, that we're his beloved kids. He knows we're going to mess up. He made provision for our sins. And now with assurance and confidence, go and love others. Go go and take chances. Put yourselves out there is what we're supposed to be doing. We're gonna mess up. Okay. He made provision for that. He knows that. He's not shocked. Oh, Mr. Greenley had a bad thought. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> when the uh, <coughs> When the opportunity came for us to go to China, when I was 45 years old, for crying out loud, when the opportunity came to go to to go to China, um, it was first. It was first. There's no way that that was the that was my default. There's no way. That's stupid. And then, you know, it was so out of the blue. And then it was like, huh this is getting scary and then Terry and I knew that this is what we should be doing. We knew just like all of us know pretty much the things we're supposed to be doing. There's not a lot of shockers anymore. We know what we're supposed to be doing when we're out there as as employees and friends and husbands and wives. We kind of know what we're supposed to be doing. So when, when this opportunity came, we, we looked at each other and we knew, and it changed our trajectory of our entire lives. And the thing is, this continues to happen. This, you don't have to go to China or Africa or stuff. This is in our lives every single day. This is in our interactions with people every single day because we know and that knowledge of Jesus is the eternal life that we're supposed to be living here today. Here, here, here and now today. So, and, and the thing is, we totally could have bailed on that opportunity. We, we could have chucked it. And God wouldn't have hated us. He loves us. I'm his kid. He knows I'm going to sin. He made provision for it. I could have passed on that opportunity. I'm sure when I get up to heaven and they'd play the VHS, I think I'm certainly his VHS tapes up there. (laughs) And when they play the VHS tapes back, um, he's going to have his arm around me and go, see here? See that? What you did? It could have gone this way. But you're just a character. (laughs) That's what it is. That's what it is, and that's what he—that's how he wants us to respond. So this week, I want you to deliberately r- write down some of these things that you know about God. I want you to just as you're as you're going. This doesn't have to be fancy schmancy in a journal or anything. Just write it down. Just write down some of these things that you know and take that as a real voice of encouragement to have this assurance and confidence um, in who we are. Because that's what this whole section is, giving us assurance and confidence that we have eternal life. So picture this. John writes with his quill, this is the true God and the eternal life. And he puts down his quill. I'm sure, it was a quill. He puts down his quill and he goes, That was a good book. And he looks up and he sees one of his church members coming out of the five and dime idol store. And he goes, Dang it! And he picks it up and he says, Little children, guard yourselves from idols. <laughs> Where did that come from? Come on! What is it? All this stuff, and then <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Okay, I don't even know that there was a five and dime idol store. <laughs> one of the one of the uh, one of the commentary writers said that God made our hearts big enough to encompass Him, but not Him and an idol. Wow. And McLaren says any. Anything or person that comes into the heart and takes the place that ought to be filled by God is an idol. Anything or person that comes into the heart and takes the place that ought to be filled by God is an idol. Doubt, uncertainty, fear versus assurance and confidence. So when we hold on to these idols of doubt and uncertainty and fear, which we all do, it kills our effectiveness and stunts our potential for what we're placed here on earth to live abundant lives. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. The whole book points to that. The whole book comes down to knowing God and living as his children as the default. This has been such a good study for us, I think, for me personally. It's been, it's been a really great study and we're gonna continue when we get back. We're, next week we'll take some questions, so write your questions down and the hard ones Cliff are gonna answer, the easy ones I'm gonna answer. Um, but write your questions down because this is just so rich and just remember We know, everyone in this class knows or you wouldn't be here. You guys know, we know the one true God, and that is eternal life. And from that, this should give us all kinds of assurance and confidence now to go out and live our lives like we're supposed to do every single day as his kids. Can I say one thing? Yes. I
0: want to put the Socrative uh, site if you want to write your question down anonymously for next week, it's socrative.com. Just socrative.com. And it's room 5016. Well, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, like we're in jail or something.
1: We're dancing. Again. Yeah. Like can
0: can Baptists dance? Some can, some can't. Uh, yeah. Thank, sorry, Dick. I, here, here we go. Uh, but it's Socrative.com, and the room number. is all it asks for. You don't have to put any any information there. You have to give your, you know, social security number or anything like that. It's number. 50168. And there are four questions. You don't have to answer all four of them, but there are four there that we would like some feedback from uh, as we uh, consider. And please, um, some of you, I know sometimes when you write a question, it's like there's a preamble, there's a couple of ideas you've had, and then there's a question there somewhere. Please just kind of get right to it, okay? Uh, that would be helpful. That would be helpful for that, okay? No problem. <laughs> now, yeah, so, so just, just kind of put your question there and, and we'll do our best to answer it. Now, here, here's a final thought. I, I re- appreciate what Dick said about this. And I, I think he's made a great point that this last three sections of no is he's really hitting the Gnostics here. And here's what I want to ask some of you from my side of the, the house with this matter about sin. I, I think one of the things I've learned through this, this lesson or these lessons is this. Uh, when we know this about God and what He's provided for us, I want to ask some of you to consider that the greatest act of faith that you could ever do, okay, so the greatest act of faith you could ever do in all of this that we've learned is this. If you would accept the fact that Jesus is enough and leave yourself alone. Why don't you listen to this now? For some of us, The greatest act of faith after having learned this, about knowing of God's love for us and his concern for us. Your greatest act of faith, it might be going to China now. but (laughs) It it wouldn't be to go somewhere to do a, a, a mission trip. It wouldn't be to do something heroic or incredible. The greatest act of faith that you could do would be to believe that Jesus has done all that needs to be done to take care of you, that he's done it all. And you could leave yourself alone. Make sense? For me, that's the greatest act of faith for me. That's the greatest act of faith for me, is to get up every morning knowing that Jesus has done it all. He's provided a way, like Dick said, if we sin, he's provided a way. 1 John 1, 7, 1 John 1, 9, 1 John 2, 1. He's provided everything we need. And so I just wake up in the morning and I read it on my calendar, just your greatest act of faith, Cliff, is to believe what Jesus did for you and leave yourself alone. Would some of y'all do that this week? Would you just flat leave yourself alone and quit being that perfectionistic kind of monitoring and managing kind of life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, what Dick said. Thank you for... Helping us to say, we know this, and we do know it. We know this, that you're the truth. We know that you said that if we'll confess our sins, you'll forgive us. we know that you said, if I write this, you sin not, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father Christ Jesus the righteous. We know what great love the Father has poured out on us that we would be called the children of God. We know that greater than he that is in us than he that is in the world. We know that by knowing you, we will overcome the world. We know that we are protected by him who was born of God and he was born of God is not able to be touched by the evil one. We know this. Now, help us to leave ourselves alone and to be willing to walk in that knowledge right out of these doors, right into the church service, into the parking lot, at our houses, at our jobs. Help us. In Jesus' strong name, we know this to be the greatest act of faith for some of us. So we're going to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.